uh, verse number 1 of Psalm 95, the Bible says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Did you know we just did that? Did you know we just did that? What we just did was biblical. Oftentimes, we enter into it very lightly, do we not? Brother Sean comes up and he says, Oh, take your hymn books to hymn number 66 or hymn number 243. That's one of our favorites, by the way. And, 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 and we just kind of turn it into neutral sometimes. But did you know that's not biblical? It is biblical that we'd, we would sing praises unto God. And we'll mention that here in just a moment. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But we just did that a few moments ago. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Now, I'm not sure if we did that. I'm not sure what the Lord would term our noise, but, but certainly we had joy in our spirit, or hopefully, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. Let me, let me say that again, because there is nothing that I will say tonight that will have more truth than that small statement. I'm going to say that again. For the Lord is a great God. He is. And a great King above all gods. I believe that. In His hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is also His. They're His also. The sea is His, is his and He made it and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. I want you to see again, verse number three. For the Lord is a great God. Now I want you to see in verse number seven. For He is our God. A great God is not such a, a hard concept for us to grasp. Uh, many people without faith, without the Bible, would not understand that there is a God that created everything that we see. And, 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 and that God is all-powerful and He's omniscient and He's, all, uh, he's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. All that God is everything. And, and as he puts it in the Old Testament, when Moses questioned who is he or what should he tell the people or who should he tell the people sent him? The Lord said this, you tell them that I am sent you. And the depth of that statement is so impactful to us, Christian. Everything in this world that we see, God is. He is. I am that I am, the Bible says. Everything that is belongs to God and the purpose for its creation was to bring glory to God. Everything. A great God is not so unfathomable, unfathomable to me. But a great God who loves to be called my God. That's a different story entirely. That is something to be grateful for if you ask me. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege, the great privilege I have to stand behind this blessed desk in front of these wonderful people and preach this powerful book. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd bless in a very special way and you'd remove me from this sermon and that you would just so fill me with your spirit and guide me with your spirit that I would, I would not get in the way 
push my own agendas or, or somehow uh, preach this from a biased perspective. But Lord, may this just be pure God's Word this evening, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. This month is the month of gratitude where we seek out our lives and search our lives as the psalmist did. Try me, Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We, we ask the Lord whether or not we are worthy of Him in this matter of gratitude. Now, the word gratitude is a Latin word. It's the Latin word gratis. It comes from the word thankful. It is an expression of the heart that conveys extreme thanks. Most of the time for somebody who's done something quite special for you. Now, as I've raised children, I've learned that it's very hard for your kids to always be thankful when they should be. You know, to a kid receiving a piece of candy or, or getting a gift from someone, it, it almost seems like they become more focused on the gift. Right? Uh, my daughter, Caitlin, she gets a piece of candy from Paul. It's like she's so enamored with the product or the gift that was given. She looks at it and... You know, all of her focus is now on the candy. All of her thoughts are on the candy. She finally got what she wants, and now it's all candy. And the one thing she often forgets to do is, thank you, Paul. Many times I feel like we might fall into that same category, and we become guilty of that same thing ourselves, where we become so enamored with the things that we have, or at least the gifts that God has given us, and we are thankful for those gifts, but maybe we are not quite as good as at expressing that thanks to God. So this evening, I will not keep you very long, because frankly, preaching three times a week, I'm running out of stuff to say, okay? But, but I'm going to keep you for just a short time this evening, and I want to go over two considerations uh, about gratitude that this passage has for us tonight. Number one, I want you to see the reasons that we should be grateful to Him. We'll see the first one in verse number 1. The Bible says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You know the number one reason we ought to be grateful to God? And I don't see maybe preachers that, that focus on preaching gratitude series or kind of have a, a specialty in this area know of better ways to start I don't know of a better way or a better reason that we should be grateful to God than to start with our salvation. Boy, the, the, the fact that God loved us. Man, I don't even like me sometimes. And I know you don't. <laughs> but God loved me. And yesterday I had a great conversation with a man at a door and, and that man was talking about works and he believed in keeping the law and doing all sorts of these things. And I'm telling you right now, if it was up to me, the law would have sent me straight to hell. I could never keep the law. And even those times when I feel like I'm trying to do a good thing, and I don't know, maybe you find yourself in the same category, but even the times when I feel like I'm trying to do a good thing, I wonder sometimes in the very depths of my heart how sincere I am being in those times. You know, when you try to do something good, you, 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 you hate it and you combat these thoughts and you don't like this part, part of you. 
but you, you do something kind, you help somebody, you open the door, you take someone's groceries out, or you, whatever you do that's kind and gracious or generous, and then in the back of your mind, something always crops up, or at least it does with me, maybe you're a far better person than me, we wonder, I wonder if anybody saw that. Or, or, or we think, well, I, not everybody would help that person. And, 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 and we don't like this about us, but we as people are that. And that's why the Bible says, even our righteousness are, are as filthy rags. You know, even when we're trying to do the right thing, there's sometimes this seed of, of selfishness in it, if you will. Yes, sir. I, I looked at that man yesterday and I just told him, I don't have to depend on the law or at least keeping the law, because if that was the case, I wouldn't make it. I looked at him and I said, the only reason I'm going to heaven is because the law that I could not keep was kept by Christ. And my righteousness that were as filthy rags were accompanied and grouped together. And the iniquities that I did and the righteousness that I thought I did, they were all thrown into one lump and all of it was filthy and wicked before God. And they were placed upon my precious Lord and Savior at Calvary. And somehow in some crazy transference that I don't even understand, now I know all the biblical terms for it, right? imputation. I, I, I know all the biblical words, but I'm telling you right now, I can read Webster's dictionary and I can read all the things that people have to say. And as much as they may use colorful language, no man will ever be able to fully explain to me what took place when my righteousness and wickedness were placed on Christ and his pure, unadulterated, unfiltered righteousness was placed upon me. I don't understand that. And that's what got me my salvation. I tell you what, and I ought to be grateful for it. The Bible encourages us in Psalm chapter 107 that we should give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. The Bible says His mercy endureth forever. And then it goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, we ought to be glad of our salvation. We ought not be ashamed of our salvation, as Paul put it, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We ought to be thankful for this. Paul, at the end of his life, as he wrote to, first, uh, wrote to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy, said this is a faithful and true saying that God, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he kind of capped it off with this little uh, footnote, if you will, of whom I am chief. Boy, if I compared myself to the Apostle Paul, I would shrink in comparison. And yet in his own estimation, he was the worst and filthiest of sinners. And yet Christ died for him. But there's not one person in the Bible who I feel like, and this is just my own judgment, and my judgments are always clouded, they're always biased, but this is me, and I want to be careful as I present this to you, because let me tell you right now, I guard vehemently against judging whether another man is saved or not. It is not wise for us to enter into this battle. You say, but Brother Andrew, the Bible tells us we shall know them by their fruits. Well, I ain't a very good fruit inspector sometimes, I tell you. And so uh, I will go out of my way when the conversation comes up. Well, I don't even know if that person's saved. And I will go out of my way to say, well, that's something that I could never know. And I guard myself against it. 
I guard myself, uh, and not always as well as I would like to, but I guard myself really against judging people based upon the things that I know about them. And the Bible obviously tells us that we shouldn't judge because if we judge people, we're going to be judged equally and harshly. And so I, I don't want to judge people, but sometimes I struggle. And if, if you gave me just a brief liberty this evening to look at one man in the Bible who just simply did not deserve heaven, I would probably be there. But standing in line next to me would be, have to be the other man on the cross. Look, listen, this man offered nothing to Christ. You understand, I got saved. At least I had a life to live for the kingdom. I've been able to, by the grace of God, be in the ministry. I've been able to preach sermons. I've been able to see people saved. I've been able to confront people with their need of salvation. I've been able to help the teenagers through crisis. I've been able to cause y'all problems. I've been able to do all sorts of things for God's glory. And it's only His grace. I feel like Paul, I thank the Lord Jesus that He's counted me worthy and faithful to be called into the ministry. I'm so thankful for my calling. But, but if you'll allow me this evening, you tell me what the man on the cross offered Christ. He is literally dying for sins which he himself admitted to. You remember one of the malefactors railed on Christ. He accused him. He joined in with all the other people mocking Jesus. And, and, and he was mocking him. And the other man looked at him on, on one side of the cross. And he says, why are you making fun of him? This man has done nothing amiss. We hang here justly for our crimes. They judged us according to our works, and we deserve this punishment. And Christ heard that conversation. That man was a guilty, filthy, rotten sinner. And when he asked the Lord just one simple question, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Jesus gained nothing by accepting him. Nothing. You know that man never had the honor or the privilege of leading one person to the Lord? That man never even got baptized. What did he offer Christ? Nothing. And yet, when he asks the question, what does our Lord say? Today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Look, if that man made it, and I, I don't want to judge him, I certainly don't want to say whether he deserved it or not, but if that man made it, all of us certainly can make it. There's not a sinner so wicked. There's not a deed so vile that the God of my salvation cannot extend the same grace that he extended to that man and save any sinner in this room. You listen to me. I know without a shadow of a doubt there's someone in this room unsaved. I know it. You say, Brother Andrew, this is Sunday night. I know without a shadow of a doubt there's somebody in here unsaved. And I don't know what your apprehension is. I don't know what the problem is. But all I can say to you tonight, from the very depths of my heart, there is a Savior who took every bit of pain and every bit of suffering and every bit of shame that you deserve. And it was placed on him. 
And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved, not, not by works, not, not, not of anything that you could do, lest any man should boast, but by his grace you can be saved. Amen. You don't have to do a single thing. You don't have to act special. You don't have to straighten up afterward. You don't have to fix your life afterward. That's not part of the deal. The part of the deal is you just trust Christ because you're a sinner on your way to hell and you need a Savior. Let me say, friend, do not deny the conviction of the Lord Jesus on your life this evening. I cannot compel you. I cannot beg you enough. I'm not looking to better you. I'm not looking to change you. You are who you are. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, you need Christ. Do not reject Him this evening. And if you have one reason to be grateful, it's because of the God of our salvation. Boy, he's been good to us, has he not? We have reasons to be grateful for him, towards him, number one, because he is our salvation. Number two, because he is superior. Verse number three, look at this. The Bible says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now notice that's a little G-O-D-S there. Those little gods can't compare. Did you know that every single other God besides the one true God has been made up by man's devices? He's been conjured up and thought up. Now, if you were to look back through history, you would find one culture who was just extremely religious. You would find that they had exorbitant numbers of gods. We could trace them all the way back to Greek mythology as they had a mountain where their gods ran their country and ran the world through a democracy. Zeus being the ultimate king, but he couldn't do everything. And so you had, you had all types of, you had Aquaman or one of their other gods. I'm not sure who it was, but you know, they had all sorts of gods. They had gods of war. They had gods of business. I did a little research They had 12 main gods, main gods. They had over uh, 3,142 other types of gods. Now this people, what they did is that, and I, I just assume this, but they could not fathom a God that could do it all. If they could, why, why in the world did they make up 3,000 of them? Right. So they had a God of water, they had a God of war, they had a God of business, they had a God of romance, they had gods for everything. And even Zeus could not do it all. In man's mind, it's impossible for us to conjure up. We look at everything that is and we say, there's no way one God can do this. You know what the Bible says? My God created it all. The Bible says, my God is all. The Bible says that there is only one God and, and we don't need a bunch of other gods because my God is powerful enough where, where in six days he created this world. He didn't need somebody's help. He didn't need some other God's assistance. My God starts with a big G-O-D because he is the true God. Amen. He's so superior to anything that we could fathom. Now let me ask you to do something this evening. If you could change one thing about God, what would it be? Because as I sit down and I try to think about that question, I can't think of one thing. 
I, I, I can't think of one thing. You say, Brother Andrew, I, I would maybe hope that he wouldn't send people to hell. But you see, it's not God's plan that people would go to hell. God did everything he could in order to prevent them from going to hell. You see, hell wasn't even created for people. It was created for the devil. The Bible tells us that hell hath enlarged herself because people decide to go there when they reject Christ. Look, God is so much better than I could even begin. If I sat down with a piece of paper and made a list of everything that I would want the God that I serve to have, I promise you God would have everything that I could come up with and infinitely more. Our God is great. And He is greater than all gods. He is superior. Even this people, when Paul went to Mars Hill in Athens, he passed by an altar and on that altar there was a superscription written and that superscription was this. It it said, to the unknown God. You see, they had so many gods that they were fearful that they had forgotten one. That they had left one out. I'm telling you, I don't have to go to bed tonight fearful that one God that I forgot maybe uh, will judge me or come down upon me because my God is one God and He is a great God. He is superior. We have plenty of reasons to be grateful to our God. Number one, we should be grateful because He is our salvation. Number two, because He is superior. Number three, because He is our supply. Verse number seven, the Bible says this, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice. You see, God many times uses this type of picture. The picture of a, uh, of a lamb or a sheep and him being the shepherd. Psalm 23, one of the most famous uh, uh, psalms in all the Bible. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know the rest of that verse there? I shall not want. And we read that and we might suppose that it's saying, because he is who he is, I'm going to have to force myself to not want. No, 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 no. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, the Lord is my shepherd I need not want. There's nothing I could imagine that I don't have if the Lord is my shepherd. And that's why the Bible goes on to say, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me by, by the rivers of water. You see, what the Bible is showing here is that if you belong to God and He is truly your shepherd, you have rest He maketh me to lie down in pastures. The comfort that comes when you know you are right with God, there is nothing that surpasses it. The Bible says, the peace that passeth all understanding. And that's what it is. When you know you are right with your God, He gives you rest. Not only does He give you rest, but you lie down in green pastures. Let me ask you, do you know what sheep eat? Well, everything really, but specifically grass. It just so happens that your bedding area actually happens to be your cafeteria. You wake up in the morning and you know what the picture is? You have plenty. You don't need anything because you're literally laying in a bountiful supply of everything you need. And then the Bible goes on to say not only do you have rest, not only do you have supply, but then He leads you to drink. He leads you to the one thing that you might need. And, and I believe you could correctly apply this by a spiritual thirst. He leads us to a spiritual satisfaction in Him. 
You follow your shepherd, you'll find that your spirit never needs anything. You'll find that you have all in all because he is all in all. That is what our shepherd offers us. He is our supply. Why do we need anything else? My wife has recently started buying groceries through our computer. Uh, It's this fantastic service that I can't believe they did not come up with years ago. What it is, is they, you go online to Walmart, H-E-B, I believe, has it as well. You go online and you order maybe a day ahead of time, and then you select an hour slot that you want to go, and you just pull up into a lane, very similar to like the bank lane, and, and they come out. It's so wonderful, and I feel terrible about this, but I don't ever get out to help them unload it. This is awesome that I don't have to get out of my car to get our groceries. Now, that's... We are a lazy people, let me just say. But it's wonderful. But every time that person comes to our window, every time, my wife has gone through our grocery list and she's checked off all the things we need. And you know what he comes up to us and says? He says, we had everything but. And on his little electronic thing there, his little computer phone, he, uh, man, I sound old, don't I? His computer phone devicey thing. Um, on his little device there, he has a, a list of everything that they had, but there's one thing, and they always, they don't have the Gatorade that our girls like. They, they don't ever have it. And so he always comes up and he says, you know, we didn't have this, so, so we substituted it out with this. And you just say, okay, that's fine, no problem. I mean, at the end of the day, you did everything, so I can kind of put up with it. Let me tell you, if you... Have God as your shepherd. You will never find yourself in any single situation in life where God comes up to you and says, well, I just didn't have what you need. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to have to substitute this out with something that's not quite what you wanted. Not a single time. For Paul puts it like this, For my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You'll never find yourself in want as long as God is all you need. As long as your life is lived with God as your affection and God as your focus, you'll find you'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty because God is all you'll need. Somebody said, when Jesus is all I have, I'll find that Jesus is all I need. Certainly that is true. He is our supply. We have many reasons to be grateful for God, three of which are our salvation. Number two, because He is superior. Number three, because He is our supply. We have everything we need. And given that those are the reasons we should be grateful, the second thing we'll learn from our passage this evening is the resources of expressing that gratitude. Now in this passage, there is actually a plan on how we as people can actually express our thanks to Him and our gratitude. And hopefully we do it according to God's Word so He will be pleased with the gratitude that we express. I want you to see in verse number 1 that that when we one of the things we have to express our gratitude is this. We can sing the wonders of His works. Verse number 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. 
Now, I'm a preacher that does his very best to preach what is in the passage. Now, I, I don't like to borrow from other passages. Now, it's good to help maybe cross-reference. It's good to help explain. But, but in this passage, there is clearly an instruction for the Christian to praise God through song. And in fact, if you study the next few psalms here, Psalm 95, Psalm 96, Psalm 98, every verse or every chapter begins like this, verse number 90, or chapter number 96, verse number 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Chapter 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. These psalms are known as the singing psalms. How could I preach from a singing song and not mention a singing psalm and not mention that God instructs us to show and express our gratitude through song? Don't tell me music doesn't matter at all. Because God wants to hear thanksgiving through your song. The Bible not only instructs it here, Psalm chapter 71, verse 23, My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee in my soul, which thou hast redeemed. Colossians chapter 3, in the New Testament, we find the Christian in the New Testament church being instructed on how to worship God. The Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And now notice that songs that express thanksgiving to God must agree with the word of God. We can't just make up stuff that's not within God's Word. It must dwell in us richly. The Word of God must dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, even the New Testament church was to worship in song and to express their gratitude to God in song. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, "...speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs." Now, when's the last time you heard someone say that part of your relationship with God is based upon your song to God? You, see, you, you must sing to God. That's what He desires from you. Oh, sing a new song unto our God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 40, I waited patiently on the Lord, and He inclined unto me. And He heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a miry pit. And set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. And this is really the part I want you to focus on. The Bible says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. You see, when you start living for God and you start walking with your God, you'll realize that it's not a song that has to be put on. It is a song that is already in. And God will place in you a desire to express your thanksgiving and your gratitude through your song. So one of the ways, one of the resources that we have to express our gratitude is we can sing about His works. Number two, so many churches are getting this confused. We can, we can submit in our worship. Now to far too many churches, the song is the worship. The song is an expression of worship. Don't get them confused. We live in a time in Christianity where worship is more abused than at any other point in time. Because the worship that I see does not align with the Bible. I'm not being critical, I'm just telling you, and I've been to churches 
like-minded, just like us, that their worship doesn't match the Bible. I'll tell you right now, a church that hollers and runs around the church and, and does all this stuff, I don't necessarily think that's true worship. You say, Brother Andrew, you're criticizing more conservative brethren than me. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just telling you, that is not very biblical. You, you find that in the Bible. Just like mosh pits really aren't in the Bible either. You know the only mosh pit I find in the Bible? It's at the foot of a golden calf. What is worship? Worship, as defined by Webster, is an extreme expression of thankfulness through submission. You see, worship... Song certainly has a place in our worship, and I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'll tell you this morning, and as I'm just, I'm a goofball, and I realize that. This morning, Miss Brown and, and Brother Chris, they played God is Good for the offertory. And I'm a little bit weird. I actually like singing songs that I know. So if you're up there singing a special and you hear me chiming in, please don't get mad. I'm just trying to worship, okay? Certainly, as they were playing that song this morning, I was singing. God is good in my life. I've been blessed beyond my wildest dreams as I go to sleep each night. And though I've had my share of hard times, by my side He's always stood. Because through it all, God's been good. And I'm sitting up there singing that song, and I felt ridiculous, to be honest with you. Because everybody else in the crowd is just kind of, you know, we're doing our offering thing, and I am literally up here in tears. No words even being played to what they're singing, and I'm literally in tears at the thought of how good my God has been to me. You know what that was? It was an extreme expression of thanksgiving through submission. If you look in this passage, something accompanies our worship, and it is this, bow down before Him. You see, submission always takes priority in worship. Isaiah 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And angels are shouting, Holy, holy, holy! What does Isaiah do? He bows down. And submits to the splendor of our God. We we probably aren't as right on our worship as we should be either. I'm not trying to criticize us. I'm saying, when is the last time the thought of God drove you to reverence Him? You You look up to Him with an admiration that is unequal to anything else in life. You see Him for who He is, and you know who you are. And you realize that the relationship that you have with Him is totally undeserved. And you know what worship is? At that moment, when maybe it's a song, maybe it's a sermon. But at that moment, you are so driven in your soul It's almost like you can't wait for your knees to hit the ground quick enough. Because in His presence, you are nothing. 
and He is everything. You know what that is? That's worship. Now, let me ask, when's the last time you saw that in church? In our church. I don't actually believe in corporate worship as we label it. I don't think that just because Brother Flood and Miss Flood come to church and I have a worship experience, that doesn't mean they can have one. Or that doesn't mean they must have one. Just because we label them worship services doesn't mean that worship actually takes place. I believe worship is something that is much more private. And if you never knew that I cried this morning during during the offertory, I was hoping you didn't see it. Because my worship with God has nothing to do with you. That's worship. And did you know that in John chapter 4, when Jesus, see, he says, we must needs go through Samaria. There's the Samaritan woman. Jesus confronts her with her need for this living water. And, and, and he tells her, you know, you know the story, but he says, oh, I know that you don't just have a husband. You've had uh, five and the one that you're with now is not your own. And you know what she says? She says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then it's almost like they were having kind of the same problems we are in their religion. She says, sir, you say, and Jesus never said this, but she said, you say that we must worship in Jerusalem, but my father's worshiped in these mountains. Where should we worship? And Jesus said, the time comes when we'll neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that God is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and truth. It blew my mind the other day when I heard a preacher preach on this. He just read over, and God is seeking for them that will worship him. One of the tools that God has given you to express your gratitude to Him is worship. Now, worship is not service. Worship is not a song. Worship is not a sermon. Worship is submission to God in heaven. And God is waiting for you to do it. And I promise you, when you experience true worship, you'll find your relationship with God will be restored like never before. There are certainly times in my life where I've gone on dry spells, so to speak. I remember one time in Bible college. It's a very intimidating environment in Bible college because everybody else seems to, you know, everybody talks a good game. Everybody else seems to have their cards in order. And it's like you're the one guy not seeing souls saved. And you're the one guy not actually doing the right thing. And Everybody else has great prayer requests and everybody else has great praise reports and, and you sit there and, and this is not true, but it just over time, this just, just kind of drains you and you feel inadequate to everybody else that's around you. I don't know if this is just a Bible college experience, but it was for me. I remember one night I was on my way to pick a friend up from work and I just told God, I broke down in prayer. I'm on my way to pick him up driving and I said, God, I need you to show me yourself. I'm, I'm here in California. I'm trying to work for you. I'm trying to learn about you. I'm trying to become the preacher that you want me to be. Lord, I feel like I'm in the center of your will, and yet I feel dry. 
frankly, I felt like God was a thousand miles away from me. I said, God, I don't know how you can do it. I don't know what you're trying to do, but I need you to show yourself to me. Now, I was not trying to throw out a fleece, and I was certainly not trying to challenge God, but I, I needed God to help me. You know what? It just so happened that when I pulled up in front of CVS to pick up my roommate from CVS, he's working the late night shift, and I pulled up. There happened to be a man there. This man was crying, almost uncontrollably. Hispanic man, but he, he doesn't look like a, a man that, that would be crying much. I remember as soon as I pulled up, I, I sensed the Spirit of God say to me, you want me to show your, myself to you? You show me what you're willing to do. And I said, Brother, oh Lord, it's, uh, it's past midnight. We have a curfew at college. I can't, I can't get out of this truck. I just got to pick up Tom. We got to get back to school so that we can make curfew. And the Lord said, you want me to show myself to you, but you're not willing to work for it. And I'll never forget finally mustering up the courage to get out of that car, approach that man in the darkness of night, midnight, in Lancaster, California. And I went up to him. I said, how you doing, man? He said, I'm not doing well. And that night, I just began to talk to him. He said he had been abandoned there. Some of his friends had left him. He had no way back down. He actually lived in southern Los Angeles, which is about an hour and a half away from where we were. He said, I have no way to get there. I, I literally don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I know nothing. I said, man, I'll tell you what, that, that's a bad deal. I'm sorry about that. He said, and honestly, I wish I could help you. But the school that I go to has very strict restrictions. I, I, if I were to drive an hour and a half, I would literally get kicked out of college because I don't have permission to go that far. And I said... I can't necessarily help you with all your problems this evening, but I do want to ask you one simple, very simple question. And I asked him that night if he was saved. You know, he began to tell me that he wasn't. He had never asked Christ to save him. In fact, he didn't know much about the Lord at all. He'd only heard of him, seen paintings of him, but he didn't know much about him. And that night, I just happened to be able to take the Word of God and show him how to be saved pretty fantastic night in my Christian life. In fact, it's kind of a monument day for me, if you will. You know, as I sat in that truck on the way to CVS, you know what I had? I had a worship experience. I had an experience that I, I literally felt like I was tugging on the coat of God saying, God, I'm just so unworthy, but, but I feel like I want to be used of you. You know how thankful I was after I saw God work in my life? I've never been more charged up in my life as a Christian. Every person in CVS got witness to that night. <laughs> I said, Tom, is it shutting down? Yeah, but there's a few stragglers. Well, let's straggle them into heaven, Tom. Let's go. Come on now. I was so charged up. God gave me the opportunity to do something for Him. And through my worship and through my song... I express my gratitude because of it. Christian, when you come to church and you take part in our song service, how effective is your worship at that moment? When, when the special gets up to sing, are you worshiping? Are you, are you trying to be drawn to the point where you realize your God is so good? That's worship. 
And, and worship, although abused today, is given to us by God to express gratitude towards Him. Now, this is just the first pillar of gratitude. We'll look at several as we go throughout the study. But certainly, we have plenty to be grateful for, do we not? Amen. We have so much to thank Him for. And He's given us resources whereby we can do that. 